given many, many, many years before Jesus was born. See, but we look at the Bible through our temporal eyes. We look at the Bible through, uh, through the, 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 the time frame that we live in, the, the, the type, you know, we, we, we go back from creation to, you know, uh, 0 AD to here we are in 2017. And, and so we understand time in this temporal setting. God gives his promises, though, outside of our temporal time. He gives his promises within eternity, and he's speaking of a future and of a Savior that will come and bring hope and restoration and light to his people. This is what the promises of the Old Testament, these prophetic utterances, are. He speaks here of a shoot that will come out of the stump, stump of Jesse from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. I've shared a little bit about my time in Israel and uh, my understanding of how an olive tree grows caused this message or this passage to come to life in a way that I've never understood before. You know, we can read some of these words and go, well, that sounds good. Or shoot will come out of the stump of Jesse. Or you might just be going, I have no idea what that means. I can imagine what it means, but I don't know what it means. I want to show you a picture. Uh, this is a picture of one of the olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane. They've dated this tree to be over 2,000 years old. And here's what's amazing about an olive tree. You know, most trees, if you cut it down, you can tell how old it is by counting the what? The rings. Olive trees do not grow the same way. You can't do that with an olive tree. See, what happens is you see that massive trunk in, a, in the middle. Well, olive trees don't have trunks that grow that big. Here's what happens is over years that there was an olive tree that, that grew and then it died. And from the base, from the root, and you can kind of tell there's a branch sticking out, um, a, new, a new branch, a new shoot will come out of that trunk, usually like in the middle or closer to the bottom of that, that trunk, and a new olive tree will grow out of the old dead stump. And it'll keep doing this over and over and over again. And over the course of 2,000 years, you end up with an olive tree that looks really big. But if you were to look on the inside, and we couldn't get any closer than this, um, because unfortunately, tourists were going up and breaking off pieces of the tree to take home. They're like, what are you doing? But, um, but if you can you kind of look around the corner, it's actually hollow. That tree is hollow in the inside. And so out of something that was ancient, something that was dead, this new shoot would come out. And this is the way that olive trees grow. They'll grow and then they'll die and they'll be dormant for a, ser a period of time, up to 70 years. And then all of a sudden, a new shoot will grow out from the side of that, that, that dead stump and there will be new life and it will produce, it, grow, it produces olives. And the, the, the analogy and the picture of the olive tree is amazing and how much of uh, the life of Christ is, is an analogy of the olive and the olive tree. And we can talk more about that later. But I want us to just get a sense of when, when, when Isaiah says that there will be a shoot that comes from the stump of Jesse. He's talking about the Messiah. He's talking about the one who will come out of something that has long since passed. The line of David, David had been dead for a long time. Jesse, his father, by the way, 
had established that line, and it goes back even further than that, that would, would lead ultimately to Jesus being born. Now, those hearing Isaiah's message would have understood what he was talking about, but what they didn't have was the fulfillment of that promise. All they had was the promise. What we have in Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this promise. I think it's so interesting, by the way, that it's in this garden. This tree was there when Jesus prayed. This, this tree, it looked very different back then, but this very tree was present at the time that the fulfillment of that promise was realized as Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. Our key passage for this series is going to be Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, 6. And it says this. It's a passage we're familiar with. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know that each of these names is a promise. Each of these names is a promise to you and I of who Jesus was and is and will be in our lives. And so each of the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at each of these names and talk about what that promise looks like for us, what that means in our lives. Of course, we understand that, that Isaiah, when he says a child is born to us, a son is given to us, it's a clear reference to Jesus Christ. And again, because we're looking backwards through time, we understand that this all took place in Bethlehem in a stable that Jesus was laid in a manger. And so we understand uh, about the son, this child being born. Uh, the one part of this passage before we jump into uh, Wonderful Counselor is an understanding of this term, the government will rest on his shoulders. Again, it's one of those parts of Scripture that sometimes we gloss over because we're like, well, that, that sounds good. But it's really important that we grasp what God is talking about here. See, he's not talking about our government. He's not talking about the U.S. government. He's not talking about the government of a country or the governance of a country. What he's talking about is the governing of our lives. See, Jesus' government is not of this world. It's his kingdom. His governance really flows from the throne of God. And it's Jesus who establishes that governance, that governance, that Jesus came to earth and that, that in this, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, he really established and he gave the, this proclamation of what his kingdom would be in line with the rest of Scripture. And so his government, speaking of the kingdom of God being established here on earth, and he, he echoes that in his prayers. He teaches the disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the government, this is the governance that he's speaking of, and he's the one who initiates all of this. So wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. In the text, in the original text, uh, it can really be translated wonderful as a singular name and counselor as a single name, and they stand on their own, but they're also great when combined together. And so we're going to look at them, take a look at them 
both ways. We're going to take a first take a look at this, this name, Wonderful. That Jesus was called by Isaiah the prophet, Wonderful. That he, there was a picture painted of it, it, using words of what Jesus would be for those people and for us. And, and this term, Wonderful, uh, is pretty amazing. In fact, it can be defined any of these ways. Miraculous, a marvelous thing, astounding, fantastic, which is a great word to say, fantastic. You want to say it? All right, good. Beyond understanding, distinguished, and extraordinary. Extraordinary. All synonyms for wonderful. But here's the thing. These are not just empty superlatives. We've been laughing in our home this week because uh, we love the comedian uh, Tim Hawkins. Any Tim Hawkins fans? Right? He does a great bit on superlatives. Uh, what's a superlative? It's, it's words that we use to describe something and make it sound better than what it really is. This ice cream is amazing. It might be good, but it's just ice cream. Tim does this whole bit about dropping his daughter off at the mall and... Uh, Yeah, you've heard it. Uh, And how she's at the mall and him him and his wife are there and they get dropped off and uh, her friends aren't there. And she's like, I'm at the mall, but my friends aren't here and I can't go shopping. And this is just such a bummer. And his wife says to his daughter, I know, honey, that's just the worst. That's just the worst. And he goes on to talk about, you have to listen. I'm not going to go any further. I'm not going to tell his joke. Check it out uh, on YouTube. All of his stuff is on YouTube. It's really funny. But we use language to describe things in a way that doesn't actually describe them. Oh, that's the worst. No, it's not the worst. It's, it's bad. It's inconvenient. But it's not the worst. Or, or the, 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 the converse of that, right? That's the best. Oh, that's the best. No, not really. In fact, uh, uh, I was going to show a clip of, out of the Elf movie this morning, but I know there's some people in the room that don't like Elf. Um, but there's a scene. <laughs> there's a scene in the movie when he's walking through New York in his Elf costume, and he walks up next to a store, and it says "World's Best Cup of Coffee." Right? And what does he do? He goes in. He's like, "Congratulations! You did it!" Best cup of coffee. Way to go, team. And of course, they're just looking at him like, what is your issue? I very much doubt, because I know about these things, that the world's best cup of coffee is in a little diner in Manhattan, right? But they put that sign out there to draw people, world's best cup of coffee. And of course, here, here's Elf. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't realize it's just a superlative. It's just a description, but it's not accurate. We start using this kind of language, and then we come to the name wonderful. And it can kind of water down, really, the sense of awe and wonder that should exist when we utter the name Jesus. That he is wonderful beyond what we can ever Imagine, in fact, there are no words. All of these words that we're using fall short. They're not of an over-description. They're an under-description of how amazing 
He truly is and wants to be in our lives. Famous preacher Charles Spurgeon says this, Christ is the marvel of marvels, the miracle of miracles. Jesus is all that and then some. Amen? He's all that and then even more. But we have to understand this, that Jesus is wonderful not just by name. He's wonderful not just by name. Jesus is wonderful in three different ways. He's wonderful in the past. He's, we need to stand in awe of him because of where he's come from. See, we, we need to remember this, that Jesus has always been. Jesus didn't show up in a stable for the first time. Amen? He's always been. He is and has always been the second member of the Trinity. It wasn't 2,000 years ago that all of a sudden the person of Jesus made his first appearance. He makes his first appearance in Genesis. Let us create them in our image. Let us. Jesus is a part of that. He was present at creation. He was a part of the planning process that would ultimately lead to our salvation. That the Father initiated, that the Son agreed, and that the Spirit actuated and brought it to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus was a part of the process of planning our salvation. That he planned on coming and being born as a baby. And all throughout the Old Testament, by the way, there are prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about the advent and the coming of Jesus, but not just prophetic words through utterance, but also prophetic pictures. Abraham going to to sacrifice Isaac on that altar was a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do, the father sacrificing the son. Amen? We see in the the tabernacle and the temple, the instruments of praise, the, the sacrificial system, the lambs and the bulls and the doves being sacrificed, their blood being spilled, a picture of what Jesus would do ultimately for you and for I. And, and, and over and over and over and over again, this picture of Jesus being painted in the past, pointing towards where he would be. Not only that, that in the Old Testament, when we read about the angel of the Lord, it's a reference to the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus wasn't hiding out until the book of Matthew or Luke. That he was very active In the Old Testament, he was present in the Old Testament. He was working in the Old Testament. In fact, it's him who gives the the, the prophetic word, the promise to Abraham about his descendants and the blessing that would come. And so Jesus was wonderful in the past. He was wonderful all the way from creation and even before that because he is almighty. He's wonderful in our present. He's wonderful in our present. He is living, he is active, he is alive, church. He is alive, and he wants to be present in our lives. He wants, us, he wants to have an impart, an impact, a place in our lives. He wants that relationship with you and I. The Bible tells us that Jesus is present 
in heaven, as we use the word presently, he is presently in heaven, standing before the throne of God, making intercession for you and for I. When the accuser comes, when the enemy comes, and he accuses us, accuses us of the sin that's present in our lives, that Jesus is standing there making intercession for you and I, going, yes, but Father, remember the cross. Jamie referenced this morning that everything under the blood is taken care of. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at Calvary. See, he's wonderful in our present because of the work that he accomplished. And because that work is ongoing in our lives to this day. He is a wonderful Savior. He is ready to move in our lives all the time. As a four-square church, we believe that he is our savior, our healer, our baptizer in the Holy Spirit, and our coming king. That is wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. And he is wonderful in the future. When we anticipate his return, when we read the book of Revelation, and we talk about what he's going to accomplish that he's already secured our salvation, but in those end times that he will return on a white horse with a sword that is coming out of his mouth and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's pretty wonderful. That's pretty amazing. In fact, that tree that I showed you in the Garden of Gethsemane stands right in the Kidron Valley between the Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount. And the Bible says that Jesus will return and he will come down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley up to the eastern gate of Jerusalem and ascend to the Temple Mount where he will take his place once and for all, that he will defeat the enemy, defeat, he will, he will administer the final blow and the Bible says that he will then establish a new heaven and a new earth. Now listen, I just said that all really fast, right? And there's a lot of debate about how much time will pass. But here's the truth, here's the reality. Our wonderful Savior will accomplish all of this. He is wonderful in the future. Amen? Jesus is wonderful. He is wonderful. He is he is worthy of our wonder, of our awe, because he is wonderful. But then Isaiah ties this other word, counselor, to the word wonder. Let me ask you this. Have any of you ever received bad advice? Anyone ever gotten any bad advice? All right, we could probably go around the room with two hands in the air, right? We've all been on the receiving end of bad advice, which makes us a little weary of the next time we're asking for advice because you're wondering, is this good advice? So, so uh, any Yelp users, anyone like checking out Yelp, reviewing restaurants because you're like, I want to make sure that I don't get a dud, right? And so you're looking for good, good advice. And I've been to restaurants before where uh, you, you check out the review and then you go and you're like, uh-uh, you're all lying, Right or or triple D diners, drive-ins, and dives. Any fans of that show? All right. We when we were traveling around, one of the things that we loved to do is we would go find the local triple D restaurant or diner and and go check it out. And more often than not, the hype on TV did not line up. Bad advice. Thanks, guy. Um, Bible says that Jesus is a wonderful 
counselor. What is a counselor? We have a few different ways that we use the word counselor in our modern context. We talk about counselor, someone that you go to when you're struggling emotionally uh, or mentally, and you go sit with a counselor, and there's someone who will listen to you, and maybe uh, counselors are not really supposed to give advice, but they'll They'll help speak or help bring understanding to maybe what you're walking through. We use the word counselor to describe an attorney or a lawyer, right? And you'll see in, in, in TV shows, they'll, the judge will refer to the, to the lawyer as counselor. That's the one who's standing, you, standing with the accused and going between the judge and the jury and trying to explain the case and, and make the argument. Or sometimes we just go to a friend and say, hey, I just need some counsel. I just need you to maybe impart some wisdom or speak to me from your experience in a particular area. Again, language is a problem when it comes to the Word of God because we can water down the real meaning and depth of what something truly is. When the Bible says that He is our wonderful counselor, it's more than Jesus giving you advice. That Jesus' goal is not to simply give you advice. Amen? In fact, if that's the approach we take to Jesus, we're selling ourselves way short of who he truly is as our counselor. Psalm 16 verse 7 says this, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. See, the kind of counsel that Jesus brings is not simply advice. It is life. It is our life. That, that Jesus is our counselor and that he, he speaks life, that his words are life, that his presence is life. I think each one of us would say that at some point in our schooling, we had a favorite teacher. Any favorites, right? We all had a favorite teacher. And sometimes it was because they were funny or sometimes because they, they let, it, let us get away with things. But my favorite teachers were always the ones that really helped me understand the material in a way that was enjoyable, engaging, and helped me leave the classroom better than I walked in. Those were my favorite teachers. It was those characteristics of, of, of being so concerned about you, knowing your name, taking the extra time, going the extra mile, giving that extra effort to help you move beyond where you are to where you needed to be. See, Jesus wants to be your favorite. He wants to have that place in your life where you're, co you're coming to him daily because you know that what you're going to get from him it's personal, it's timely, it speaks exactly to what's going on in your life, and it will bring about change, deliverance, healing, and transformation. Psalm 1 verse 1 through 2 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. See, we can walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And, that, and we're not talking about like the worst person you know. All right? We, our mind jumps to like the scoundrel. 
Ungodly advice or ungodly counsel is simply this. Counsel that doesn't line up with the word and the will of God. That's simply what it is. And the Bible says that if we want to be blessed, we need to make sure that we walk in the counsel, not that we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, which means that we do need to walk in the counsel of the godly. Now, that can be people, but it can only be people when those people are aligned with Jesus Christ and are speaking God's heart in our lives. Otherwise, that counsel is not good counsel. And the understanding of Jesus' role as a counsel extends beyond just someone who wants to direct your steps. It says of Jesus that he sits in the counsel of the Most High. That there is a counsel that exists in heaven. And Jesus is a part of the Trinity, a part of the Godhead, oversees and rules that counsel. But he's not just overseeing the counsel, but he is our counsel that he makes, as I already referenced, intercession for us, that he stands before the Father as the, as the accuser comes and makes accusation, that our counselor stands before, before the Father and makes intercession. And, and like I said, says that's a lie. That's not true because that's your son, that's your daughter, and they are covered They are covered by the blood that I shed at Calvary. And so as a part of this council that makes decisions, that sets the earth in motion, that governs everything in the heavens and on earth, Jesus is a part of that council. And so he's a wonderful counselor, not just a source of good advice. He is a wonderful counselor that he stands in that place for you and I, wanting to usher us from death to life, from darkness into light, from cursing into blessing, that he will guide our steps, that he will cause our roots to go deep, he will cause our lives to be fruitful, and that the words he speaks will never never fade or never fail. He is our counselor. He is our Lord. He is our King. And not only is our counselor, but he is our wonderful counselor. Can you see the impact, the power of that? When we understand that, unpack that in our daily lives, I want to encourage you as you hear that through this Christmas season, wonderful counselor, would you pause and just think about and meditate on what that means for you, the depth that Jesus brings, the depth of the promise that he wants to be and always be your wonderful counselor. And with that, I want to close. See, he's not just a wonderful counselor. He's not one of many. He's not one of the options picked from the list below. He is the wonderful counselor, and not only that, he is your wonderful counselor. So as we consider and remember a baby born in a stable, laid in a manger, that that baby is the promise fulfilled of him being our wonderful counselor. We stand together as we close.